Individually, they are a force to be reckoned with. But when they join together, they become Unplugged Radio. Prepare to be swept off your feet as Greg Person, the lover, takes the stage. But wait, what illusion is this? It is no trick. It is Jake Hutton, magician, for your viewing pleasure. Look out! The sensational sensei himself, Mike Rossi, warrior on display. Bow down and grovel at his feet as John Vanas, king, utters his decree. Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of Unplugged Radio. I'm your host, Greg. I'm your host, John. I'm your host, Mike. And I'm a guest, Corey. Oh, hey. a guest, Corey. Welcome back, guest Corey. Corey. You might have heard thank Corey you, in our, our last episode. Um, this is Corey with an E, not Corey without an E. Corey with an E, thank you very <laughs> much. Corey Primus. So uh, before we get started with anything, I do want to address, right, uh, I have not been on an episode of Unplugged Radio in about three months, and that is because my daughter was born about three months ago. Uh, she is doing amazing. My wife is doing amazing. Everybody is happy and healthy, and uh, lots of uh, fun new experiences have uh, continued during that time. And so uh, thank you to Mike and the Corys for recording an episode um, in the interim. And now uh, here I am back and ready to uh, my first episode as a dad. And with that in mind, our main topic tonight is going to be about how to um, balance the competing identities of being a gamer and being a parent. And so everyone here has a varying range of experiences with that topic and We'll get into that. But first, what have we been up to in the hobby? John, why don't you start us off? Um, I haven't been on an episode in a long time either, Greg. Um, I don't even remember the last time because when half the time you were available, I was unavailable as well. Um, so what have I been up to? I've been painting like a fiend. Um, I mean, I've been trying to be better about posting pictures as I'm painting stuff, but I've been painting a... Six millimeter space marine army. I've been painting three different 40k armies. Um, I've painted some fantasy miniatures in between just for fun. Um, I've played a lot of games of both Kings of War and 40k and Kill Team. Um, I've, I've been all over the place uh, and kind of killing it lately, especially with the painting. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, what I'm working on right now is some chaos cultists um, that I'm going to be using for an upcoming 40k army. They're part of my Black Legion army. Um, and I'm also working towards a campaign. So uh, a couple months ago, they came out with a kill team campaign supplement. Uh, I think it's called Ashes, Ashes of Faith or Ashes and Faith or something like that. But it's like Inquisition versus Chaos Cultists. Um, and my plan is to paint the miniatures up for this and then play the campaign with Jeff locally. He's working on um, painting up some of the Inquisitor models or nice. other things to represent the Inquisitor models. 
Um, and I was able to double use these miniatures for both my 40k army and for this campaign. So I thought that works well. Let me focus on getting those done. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I've really just been all about trying to find a little bit of time every day to um, to to work on some painting. So and I've been really enjoying it as well. Let me let me say that. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. And that's where I'm at. I'm in, I'm in like a, a good groove, really. If I'm not right. mistaken, you're going to be looking to add tortured souls to your forces of the Abyss army? I may. I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I was looking the other day at the models. Yeah. And I was a little I was a little torn about this. I was thinking, because I have some things that I've used in the past to represent tortured souls, meaning they're they're on the right base. You know, right. But what, what is a tortured soul unit? I don't know. It used to be like a large, large cavalry flying thing. And then it became this weird infantry swarm unit. So I don't even really know what they're supposed to be. I know Mantic has models for them. They're metal. They're not They're They look OK, but they don't look like amazing. And they're metal. So I really don't want to buy them. And I have these other things, but I really don't love those either. And so I think if somebody showed me a model that was like, oh, yeah that's my tortured souls i'd probably go buy some and paint them um sure but lacking that inspiration i'm not sure what to do with it yeah i I guess the first thing that would pop into my mind would be to look at the gw night haunt range i use some of those miniatures for my ghost themed night stalkers and there's some really cool stuff in there that would probably work and there there probably is and I, i actually it's plastic. It would work fine as like a ghostly, a ghostly unit. Um, the most of my abyssal army is mantic models, and so I would kind of like to mm. use the mantic ones mm-hmm. if I could. I just wish they weren't metal. I don't want to buy metal. No, I hear you. Not they anymore. Do, right? You're I, way, I, you're I, way I, over. I will say they do. I've never seen them in person, but the pictures on their web store they look they look fine, uh, and they also look like they would they be very fine. easy to paint. <laughs> Yes, there's not a lot to them. They're like a naked person with like a loincloth and they have flames in their hands. Like they would be really quick to to rip through. Um, they just they're not inspiring. And like I, I look at the because I have a an army box upstairs of abyssals, too, that I've used some things from and haven't used others. So I have a bunch of lower abyssals that can mm-hmm. be ma- built as either flame bearers or lower abyssals. And I look at those as well, and then the Tortured Souls, and they're very similar. I know the, the Lower Abyssals have more, like, horns and demony look to them, but it's still, like, a very basic model with, like, flames in their hands for the Flame Bearers. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just for the Tortured Souls in particular, I'm less inspired by them. So, audience, if, if you have a suggestion about a great Tortured Soul model, I, I don't know. Throw it out there. Post it on, on the... Uh, Right. On the channel somewhere, but the real question there is: do, you are still looking for a mantic model to run as them to try to keep the army as mantic as possible? Because there's nothing that says you there's nothing that says you couldn't take something out of their the undead range, range or, or goblin range, range or, or, yeah. or right, right, and then and then kind of fiddle with those a little bit, especially That's if a, you know, I hadn't really considered that, Mike. That's a really excellent idea. I also have like coming some through with the hobby night advice. stalker. Yeah, man, that's good. It makes no sense. <laughs> I have like upside a... down. <laughs> like even you could even look at like the Walking Dead range. That's right? true too. Yeah. True. True. Okay. Well, that that's, gives me something to think about. I have some Night Stalkers, so like if I was going to add some units that maybe would cross over, 
maybe I should look at a Night Stalker unit. Right. Cool. Okay. Okay. That, yeah, that's a good. That's a good thought. I like it. Sweet. I'm helping. <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense. Mike, let's. Uh, I'm helping. Mike, let's, I'm guys. helping. Let's go over to you. What have you been up to? Yeah. What have you been up to? So I. Uh, so in in this world of mass media, uh, I've been. Uh, so I was on Newbie Dice. Uh, Paige Neo reached out to me to give my um, in detail game by game tournament recap. So if you want to hear an hour and ten minutes about how my Masters games went, go ahead over to Newbie Dice. Um, but actually, the the episode was interesting. It was me uh, with a defense, you know, with a with a dwarf army. It was Marcelo with his um, Order of the Green Lady bag of hammers. Everything moves ten twenty, um, and. Uh, and uh, the the contrast between the two of us when we were talking about our games was was pretty big, right? Yeah, I, very I, different um, styles. Yeah, very very different styles. I really right. And and Keith Randall was the third with his elves. Player. So you know, I really yeah. Enjoyed, it was it was. I thought it was a good episode. I really enjoyed that episode, and I loved all of three of you. All of your recaps. I found Marcelo's to be fascinating because his list was just like. I hadn't seen a list like that being played around here. Um, and it, it is terrifying. Um, it is scary. And then he did quite well with it, too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, on, he was on table one going in round four. And then yeah. I do want to... You know, at the end of day one, he was ahead by a bunch. Anyway. I do want to say as well that I've really been enjoying um, the Newbie Dice podcast that Paige has been running. Uh, I know he's been a content creator for Kings of War for... A long time now and he puts out a lot of stuff on youtube and i just i've looked at some of it and i've enjoyed it i just don't consume content on youtube that's just it's just not part of what i do um so the fact that it's now in yeah. podcast form i've listened to all the episodes and i'm going to continue to listen to them and i love to support uh the stuff that he does it's really good so yeah, same here. It's it's really good stuff. I just I'm working my way through the episode now that he's got with Adam Baylor down there for his master's recap there too. Yeah, it's really good. And then um besides that, uh I actually am I put my hand to some basing. Uh oh. Greg, I, well I'm trying to so it's this it's the elementals, right? So I have all the minis that I'm gonna want for this first wave of like um earth elementals and uh forest shamblers. And so just trying to, so I'm using, I'm using the, uh, the Vallejo putty. Um, I forget what it's called off the top of my the, head. The, the pumice the, paste? Like the, the dark earth? Paste? Yeah. Yeah. The dark earth. That's exactly what I'm using. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to get that to work, trying to get that to work on the base. And, um, it, uh, it, I, I, it, I don't know if I, I just have to figure it out. Right. So I, at first when I put it on, I'm like, wow, this is really sticky isn't isn't going anywhere and then <laughs> i right and then i found that like there are times when i was using it and right when i'm like okay well this is really tough i'll i'll give it a good shove then it decides to move like peanut butter and i'm like all right i didn't want that so you know it's just meek how hard is it to make a rock right <laughs> like how hard is it so i get done with the first base and i look at it, it's a little like regiment base for large infantry and i get done i look at it i go it looks like bad cake decorating and you know what I mean? Like I, I haven't put any paint to it yet. So I'm just, I'm being overly critical. Right. But I can't get it to look Because in my mind, Greg, I'm trying to do the bases the way that you do them. Okay. Right. So, you know, I learned it from watching you and I know that we had it. I went back and I listened to the episode where we talked about how I would do it. 
I, I went back and looked at all the stuff that we had been bantering back and forth. I'm like, okay, here we go. It's only been it's only been 17 months that we talked about that. I'll sit down and try <laughs> to do this. And it was it, it was it was mildly demotivating. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump back in again. I'm gonna try it again. Once I get something presentable, I'm gonna post. Yeah, well, if you, if what, you wanna right? just what are you using for yeah, a tool? I was ask that. Well, I'm using so so what I'm using is um uh a a wooden. I have a pair of um I have a couple metal, but I'm using a pair of like wooden um sculpey tools that you use for like clay. Yeah. Yeah. And I right They're and so clay, clay, clay shapers. Yep. And so those that's that's what I'm using. And I think part of it is because the, the shape of the tools isn't quite right. You know, it's like it's like trying to use a butter knife to turn to turn a screw. You're like, I know this kind of works and I'm lazy and can't go get the real right, the the screwdriver. But every once in a while it's a pain. It it makes it harder than it has to be. I think if I had the exact right tools, like the silicone um, yeah, the, you know, the silicone brushes, they're they're very good for stuff like that. Right, you and know, the so stuff doesn't stick as hard to it either. That's the key. Is it's just everything is everything is everywhere by the time I'm done, and it's like cling wrap. It's not clinging to the bowl. It's clinging to itself. It's you know anyway. It's yeah. So I I gotta get in and try that again. But that's just that's just growing pains, right? Well, I I mean it's the first time you do anything. You I suck will at say, it. If you, know? you want to before you get the you know the presentable version to post for masses, if you want to send me just privately what you've been working on i could give you feedback if you good like certainly will right i certainly will why well, i'm actually what um as we're talking now that you said that i am calling up amazon on my computer and i'm gonna order <laughs> there you the, go the silicon tool <laughs> right and then see what <laughs> if i can do right but you know it's one of those things where i was like well i got a free hour let me sit down and see what i can do with this and they, they... <sighs> so um and then besides that i think I'm working well. I uh, nominally, I have been told that my book is coming out by the end of the year. Hey, and, hey, all right. I know it's only been it's only been three and a half years. Um, and I am in discussions with um, Wing Tassar about doing another excellent. one. So I will let you know when I know what's going on. I'll let you know, and therefore let everybody know. We'll go from Beautiful. there. Cool. So, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Right. Cool. Nice. So Corey, how about you? Well, I have been doing a ton too. So I just went to the King Beyond the Wall up in Canada oh, last yeah. weekend. Alex Coos and uh, John McCready putting that on. So that was pretty fun. And painted up a couple units for that. So I took uh, Abyssals. So I painted up a, a nice unit of like samurai riding Foo Lions for Abyssal Cab. Those were pretty awesome models to paint. And they uh, they did a little thing beyond the wall, they called it. So everybody gets a 300-point custom colossal that you could take to the event as well. And so you got to build it from the, the custom colossal, custom titan rules within sure. uh, the Mantic rules. Very um, cool. They did, they did limit some things like no flying, no nimble, no shooting above 12 inches kind of stuff to kind of limit some of the more abusive things. But that was cool. So I printed off a awesome like arch villain Japanese demon model uh, from their range and painted that up and that was that was actually a hoot because that was a, a great model. I love painting it. And so made some rules to kind of fit into the whole wound transference model within abyssals. So made something rules wise that kind of fit with the abyssals and it was super effective. 
it was really fun. So went up there, finished first, had a good time. It was a great, great event. I can't recommend going there enough. So if anybody uh, is close enough to drive up to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, it's totally worth the trip. And Mr. Humble actually, over there. I, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I went to a tournament in Canada, just finished first. <laughs> it was actually one of the hardest events that I went to because some of the some of the lists and some of the players, because we haven't been up there in a while, right? I right. think the last time we went to Canada was pre-COVID. So it's been a while, and the scene has developed and matured pretty rapidly. So there's some very competitive players. They're playing some very competitive lists up there. Um, so, yeah, that was... It was quite challenging and pretty stoked actually i'm very happy to come out uh with the win there because it was very a very yeah, tough i don't want to um cool. finally got to play oh, at- go ahead i was gonna say no, you i don't want to get ahead of myself here but um to that point you know the eastern portion of canada where alex and a lot of these other guys are um housed is part of the northeast for the masters region and because of COVID, there is. they haven't been coming to our local events and they haven't been coming to Masters either. And I am expecting that next year's Masters, uh, they will be making an appearance again. And so the format of the team might be composed of, you know, upwards of half or more Canadians. And I think um, people from other regions are maybe going to be in for a bit of a shock when, when they show up and yeah. just I, I think yeah. a dominate fair, a, fair a lot of games. Right? They, they are very good. Well, I mean, and last year, I think, was their first time coming back out to any of the events south of the border. And so they were at Crossroads last year, and Alex's, Alex's team was playing on table one right. last round at, yeah. at Crossroads. So, I mean, yeah, they obviously know what they're doing, right? And, Totally. Very competitive. So, yeah, I would not be surprised to see plenty of that crew on the Northeast Masters team next year, for sure. And it would be nice yep. to see them out. It would be a good, a real nice mix-up, right? Absolutely. They're amazing. I think we've got um, 10 or 11, yeah, I think oh, 11 people coming down to Crossroads from that group up there. Yeah, so that'll That's be awesome. pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. They're, they're awesome. I love playing up there. Had a great time. And Hobby wise in that vein too, so I I got the award for best uh, painted colossal voted on by all the players. So pretty stoked That's about great. that too because that I really enjoyed painting it actually. So that was good. Awesome. And yeah. Top, and that, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, it's cool to spend some time on a fun model and then you know oh yeah have people appreciate it. Well, for me. Um... I've perhaps been doing more than you might expect. Uh, I have been getting a decent amount of time in painting. Uh, all of this is in a preparation for Crossroads that Corey just alluded to, which is coming up in September, about a, a month, actually, away from us as we're burnt we out as we are recording. Yes, so I'm taking my dwarfs, and I'm going to be using uh, everything that I had painted for Unplugged GT, which was 1995. And uh, updating that now for 2,300, which is um, a third regiment of Iron Guard represented by the Dwarf Hammer models. They're actually going to be rocking a brew of strength because they have big old hammers. And then also a Flame Priest with uh, 
upgrade to Fireball 10 and then Diadem of Dragonkind for Fireball 16. And that's represented by Long Drong the Slayer Pirate. And so I'm pretty close, uh, but I am looking at that deadline and like, oh boy, I think I have a total of five models to paint plus a unit base, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they take a long time to paint. So um, <laughs> one of them is almost finished. Yeah, I should be finishing it uh, probably tonight or tomorrow. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Crossroads very much. John, uh, Keith, and Chris are... On my team, it's the same team that we ran last time and had quite a bit of success, came in third. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a great event. Yeah. Obviously, it'll be my first uh, event out after baby's been born. And then I also organized, I haven't really been playing, but I've organized a, a summer league for the local guys in uh, Connecticut, and that just wrapped up. So, um if you're interested in learning more about that and seeing photos, go to Dash 28 uh, because I posted two articles on there about the Summer League. The one um, from early June before we started with all the rules and, and like my thought process behind creating it um, to hopefully be inspire some people to run leagues themselves. And then a, a wrap-up article that just came out uh, a few days ago as we are recording where I talk about how it went and some learning points I took away and some of the things that uh, were highlights that we really enjoyed and then also the results and everything and a bunch of photos from the different weeks. So I would recommend you take a look at that. Thank you. Yeah, those articles are pretty good. Yeah, those articles came out really well. All right, so... I wanted to run it back around one more time and we can share uh, what we've been reading, anything noteworthy, and then we'll jump into the main topic. So let's just, let's stick with that order. John, what have you been reading? Um, I finished a lot of books this summer, actually. Um, a lot of them not notable. Um, two, maybe two that I would call out, though. Uh, one's not quite done yet. So the first one is Dracula. I read Dracula because we were going to be starting a new D&D adventure. Um, and <laughs> I wanted to get into its Curse of Strahd. And so I wanted to get into the into the mood. Um, and so I grabbed Dracula and I read that. I can't believe I've never read it before. And it was, you know, it was entertaining. I enjoyed it in general. There were parts of it I enjoyed. I... I think as a product of its time, it's interesting as well for some of the re areas that I didn't enjoy so much. Um, but, you know, still a good read as an exploratory thing. Um, it's there were a couple of things that really stood out to me. I know um, some of the guys in our in our group, we like to get together like once or twice a year and play Fury of Dracula uh, with our, our Dracula loving friends here. Um, and so they have some like favorite quotes and stuff from the book and stuff. Uh, but with the 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 thing that stuck out to me the most is it okay if I talk about the the, the plot? I would imagine that if anyone wanted to read Dracula, one hundred thirty years. Especially like, <laughs> too soon, dude. Too soon. Those spoilers. <laughs> <soon. laughs> okay. Good. Out in the eighteen nineties. Good, good point. Good point. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's 130 years. It's all good. So there were uh, there are lots of places where the group will be talking about something, or someone will say, "Hmm, what's happening here?" Uh, or "What do you feel about this?" And then somebody, 
uh, like Van Helsing will say, yes, that's it. It must be true. Make it so. We shall all do that mo with, with haste. It's like there's this, there's, they just jump to conclusions wildly with very little conversation or information. It's really kind of a strange, I don't know if it's an intentional plot mechanism to move things along maybe, but it seems completely discontinuous. It's a it's a serious discontinuity for me, where sure. they're like some they don't know what's happening. Somebody comes up with some oddball idea, and everybody for no reason is but like, you know, "Yes, that must be that, the thing." That pretty much, it's really weird. What it's like that... to play Fury of Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> the board game is set up five players. One is right? Dracula, <laughs> and the other four are the vampire hunters, and they're on a team, and they're trying to. The game board is a map of Europe, and you're trying to find his trail. So when you move to a city, if Dracula has been there in the past six turns, he has to reveal that. Um, and you get into places where it's like, all right, we found that four turns ago he was in, uh, you know, he was in Barcelona. So then you you start to like math it out where could he possibly be now and you don't necessarily know but you're like i think this is if let's say john was dragging i think this is the way john's brain would work he's definitely here let's all go here um then you either have foiled his plans and he's disappointed or you are <laughs> way off <laughs> and you start again from square one right uh so Anyway, it was an entertaining book. There were there were moments that I really enjoyed, like the, the the part in the beginning where he sees Dracula crawling down the wall in the castle. Dude, it is it right? really? Yeah, it's like it's really well done. Um, like the way he describes that scene and trying to make it creepy. And then there are a couple of other scenes that are that are equally creepy. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of plot holes. Uh, or just a lot of wasted time where there's like nothing going on, um, and it just keeps dragging along. But it, it's it's okay. Again, it's a, it's a, it's an old book. Um, it is what it is. It wasn't the first vampire story ever, but it kind of blew the genre open. Sure. Um, and so yeah, so it was. I think it was good to read. And the the version of the book that I got is an anthology from Bram Stoker. And has a bunch of other stories in it as well. And I enjoyed, I haven't read all of the short stories that go with it as well, or novellas. Right. Um, but I did read one that I liked. It was it was called The Jewel of the Seven Stars. Yeah. Um, and it was like equally, again, the pacing uses a lot of the same mechanisms. The pacing yep. was a little bit weird. Some of the conclusions that the characters come to don't make sense for their characters but the creepiness yep. of it was there with this there was like this this supernatural horror thing going on and you kind of know kind of don't know what it is and the ending was super abrupt though um uh, but I, I i enjoyed it and that, that was only like a i don't know 100 100 pages or something like that of reading um so that was nice so that was a that was a good one dracula and then some other horror thing mike so you read i of all the people that have read Dracula, probably less people have read The Jewel of the Seven Stars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you remember that one. I Yep. I, well, I read it years ago, but yeah. yeah. And I, I do remember being like, wow, this has the same feel. The other thing that I, the other thing I want to mention is that, that, um, that feeling that you, that you express where you're like, oh my God, everybody's jumping to conclusions all the time. And right. I actually think that's, that is a, that combined with the, uh, completely random coincidence that drives the plot forward. I think that those two yeah. mechanisms, right, are like part and parcel of 
late 18, you know, mid 1800 to late 1800 writing. Like, as you also see uh. it in things like, like if, if you've ever actually looked, if you've, ever, you know, if you've, if you've read, um, uh, what's the Charles Dickens one that, that Les Miserables is based on? Son of a gun, right? It's going to kill me. Best cities. of times, worst of times. Uh, a Tale of Two Cities, right? If you read that, there are massive coincidences that happen where, like, the, something happens, the characters get it figured out, they move on with their lives, and then, by coincidence, these two people run into each other, like a carriage runs into a guy or something, and then all of a sudden, the plot forward again. You're like, what is this? Right? <laughs> this is Deus Ex Machina, all, and I remember in yes. high school reading yes. that kind of stuff and being like, oh, you're killing me. And I, I, and now that I've read like a whole bunch of like weird fiction from the late 18, early 1900s, I think that like that is just the thing they did, right? It could so be, I, yeah. Right? So I'm actually willing to like put up with it in Dracula because of how cool the cool parts are. Like the cool parts are super cool. They're right? super cool, yeah. yeah. Whereas I, that same complaint or, or, or maybe realization that we're having about that late 1800s, I was completely unaccepting of that in that Mantic novel. Uh, oh, really? It, it it just was, it was bad writing in 2010, right? Or whatever, 2015 or whatever. Yeah, um, can we please get this figured out, right? Right, but in 1800, it was or 1880s. It was it was uh it was a thing. It was part of the style of the literature right. at the time. Yeah. So so, it, but it, anyway, it's it's hard to not see it when you're or you know notice it when you're reading it because it's yeah. it's very apparent that the flow is is different than what you would expect from a modern novel. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. So, so that one was good. Um, I d- definitely enjoyed it, though. It was it was worth a read, and it put me in the mood, uh, the right mood for our, our D&D campaign. But the other one that I haven't quite finished yet that I just want to make a comment on as I'm mostly the way through it, I'm about 75% of the way through The Way of Kings. So you got which about is Brandon Sanderson's first novel from the Stormlight Archives. <laughs> <laughs> it is a giant book. Um, and you know, people said that it's good and I'm, I'm, and I have literally read, I'm like, it's an audiobook, right? So it's a, it's about 50 hours on the audiobook. So I'm like 38 hours into it or something. And I'm waiting for like, where does it get good? Like at what, at what point does it turn the corner and be like, wow, oh, this is amazing. Cause right now, like it's, it's fine. Like it's, it's entertaining enough for me to keep reading it, but I'm not blown away at all. So may- maybe it all happens in the last bit. I, and Mike, you haven't read it. I know you're not against reading Stormlight Archives. And Greg, I, I you, you read The Way of Kings, though. I'm against it. I'm not there with placards in the street. Corey is a big fan. I, I think... So I've... I, I, I've read it, and I like it, but I agree. The beginning of Way of Kings is a long, tough read. Okay. Even, in, even as an audiobook. So yes, I I felt the same way. I was like, boy, if this were maybe a third as long, that'd be fine. <laughs> the the right. beginning portion of that, but <laughs> it just kept going and going and going. Right? I was like, I hope the payoff's good. I hope the payoff's good. I found the payoff to be satisfying. I liked it, and I I, I think it fit and um, fed into the world building aspect of it. Okay, so let me ask a question then. It, it, of the it, you felt like it was worth it. You were, the payoff was good. Was it good enough to start another fifty-hour book? That I've read the, them all, so yes, I thought so. Oh, okay, and this does the second one suffer from the same pace? No, no. It, it, the, a lot oh. of the buildup 
is okay. in the first book a lot. Okay. Read, okay. There, are, there are four books out currently. All right, that's fair. Um, th- uh, my understanding is Sanderson has ten books planned, but that the first five will kind of be a complete story, and then there'll be a second five. Um, that that's I've my read, understanding. I've read too, one through so three. Mike might never read these. And a pretty similar experience to you, John. I was reading the first so one, close. and I I actively hated it for the first like 200 pages i was <laughs> angrily oh. reading it um i had this experience like i'm gonna say you and i mean like royal you not you john vanas specifically because i know this isn't you but sometimes you <laughs> are watching a romantic comedy and it's got this plot where where the characters like hate each other at first I would never. and then they fall in love at the end and you're like how does that happen that seems ridiculous and i think that's the experience of reading the stormlight archives I wouldn't say that I fell in love with it uh, by the end of the first book, but I okay. was like, okay, I do like this now. I just wish it hadn't been so obnoxious getting to the point where I like it. Um, I'm not sure yet if I'm going to keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's almost a, hate, almost a hate read at the beginning, right? It's almost a hate read because you're like, all right, I've put myself through this. I've got to finish, right? Because there's got to be something to it. Oh, I, oh, okay. Well, yikes. This is... So I, I have yeah. to say that I, I experienced that with... Um, Corey Walliser had a, had a recommendation for me um, for, uh, for a series. And I'm not going to get into it, uh, but it was a 10-book series. And there was just enough cool stuff to keep me coming back. He's like, it's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing. And I was like, this first book, I have no idea what's going on. I have no understanding of what of what any of these terms mean. Like the guy's like get in the deep end and drown. Like he he gave you no context for anything. I actually had to read the first book of this series, which was five hundred and fifty pages. I had to read it twice to Ooh. understand what happened. But Corey's like, it's great. Go 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 go. And I hate read until I got to like a super cool part, and I was like, whoa, that totally rules. Cool. So thirty pages out of that seven hundred page slog was amazing. <laughs> we're going in again here we go and uh, but it's like when you play golf and the first hit like your first shot is perfect and every other shot you do totally blows but you're chasing that first shot again that's what this that's what this series was like right, right. and so oh. dude i'm right there with you, you i burned a year of my life reading these books and it would have been fine if i was like Corey, just tell me what happens <laughs> well, well i remember Tell when you greg read, you read mistborn too right john the I, read, I haven't read the lost metal yet but I've, I've read the rest of it yeah yeah so the that is a much faster paced get right to it the story evolves quickly right so definitely a different read right well i, I remember yeah. when greg originally read um the stormlight the the way of kings starting the stormlight archives and i remember greg you saying about how they they say a bunch of these things but don't describe them so you're lost in like technobabble world and at the time i was reading a 40k novel that was loaded with technobabble but it was technobabble i knew so like i knew it didn't make sense as i was reading it but i understood it but then i get into the stormlight archives and they start talking about spren and like rock plants and and crustacean creatures and i'm like i don't you didn't even describe to me what these look like i have no clue what you're talking about 
So yeah. I almost, and I haven't done it yet, but I almost want to go. There's got to be a website where somebody has illustrated this stuff. So this, all, is, this, this is a, a whole, thing. A oh, yeah. This is thing too, though. It's because you're doing stuff. an audio book. Yes. I have the um, the hardcover for The Way of Kings, and those books are illustrated. Right. It's not like there's, you know, an illustration every chapter. Oh. Um, but there are a handful, and they're very nice. Um, and they do they do help with that a little bit. Um, but well, only a little bit. <laughs> but it's worth looking at the art. Maybe it's worth looking at the art for sure. A little, yeah, because I have right. I mean, I mean, generally in books, right? Like you do a little bit of imagination exploration where you're kind of you know, the description of somebody's like you put a picture in your head about what somebody looks like, regardless of what the author just described to you. They might have the wrong color hair or the wrong shape of their face or whatever, but you you've got something in your head about what they mm -hmm. look like. Totally. Um, I have no clue what some of these things are. I mean, I, I have yeah. obviously made up images in my mind about what they are, but I it's not because Great. the author described them to me. That's for sure. No, you've got, you've got to build a lot of out of context, right? From the story. Mm -hmm. It's not at all spelled out and it's, it's not, not at all well described some of, it, some of it's almost like the words assume you know what it is right yes they they do they do yeah so uh chol that's the one that drives me nuts <laughs> yes um anyway so we'll see how it is again after i get to the the payout portions at the end of this book but um if you're if you've heard of the stormlight archives and you look at this as something you want to read just just be prepared to be in for a uh, mm -hmm. a slog to get to the good stuff. Thank you. I agree. I agree. I find it worth it. I enjoy it. I, I, I highlights from your I really recent enjoy. reading. So I'm. I'm. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Was that Corey or me? I think he said Mike. I was just. Uh, sounds I like mean, me. You go ahead. No problem. Just real quick, I am reading um right now I'm I'm reading the Witcher series. Oh, nice. Yeah, so the first two books are just like a series of short stories and I'm on the second one of those books. And then uh but I've already purchased on 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 Kindle like the rest of them, so I intend to burn through those and like you know, read what the Zeitgeist is all about. So that's that's where I'm in and they're they're good. Um they're really quite good and so far as like they are translations from i think polish polish so you yeah. Can, yeah so you can see like some of the dialogue you could tell is like a weird translation of i i'm sure there's some there's some polish nuances to the language that i'm not picking up with the translation right right um but it is it is very entertaining and so far as it's a, a, a series of short stories and each one is is uh it's framed where the witcher goes on a on a hunt in the beginning and then uh, he gets really injured and messed up and brought to a to a monastery to heal. And while he's healing, he's discussing, um, you know, his his ethos and his stuff with the people that near him. And then it goes it does a flashback to like a previous hunt that he did or a previous time that he went somewhere. And uh, the device works right in terms of getting to know the character. Right. He's like he'll he'll give a he'll give like a, some sort of a. You know, like I, this is my thought about the nobility, and then he flashes back to a story that illustrates illustrates his philosophy and why he thinks like that, right? Okay. And yeah. then, meanwhile, they don't come they don't come out and say like a witcher can do this and a witcher can do that, but they hint at it, right? Which I think is actually like really good storytelling because I don't really know what the full extent of this guy's power is, 
Like I know that he's been. I know he's a mutant. I know that he's got um, special powers that were um, infused into him magically in order to fill this role. And I know that he knows how to do like potions and elixirs to like um, to make his mutagens like come out stronger. Besides that, I don't know what the limits are. I don't know what the what the back what the what some of the back um, back uh, the, the negatives are, right? Um, but they hint at it also in the stories, right? So it's almost like a hard magic system that's described as a soft magic system, right? Which I actually am like totally digging, right? Because un- unlike um, Sanderson, where he's like, these are the rules. We live in a clockwork universe. This is how everything works. With this one, it's like, dude, magic is kind of magical. And if you don't know how the magic works, then just accept it as magic, right? Um, and also, like, it talks about like how it makes a point to highlight how strange sorcerers are compared to normal people. They do that. Yeah. This, the, the, the games and the, and the movie are like that as well. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, they're, they're almost inscrutable because they live a super long time compared to people. They have these weird powers and they have to give up so much in order to get them. So I'm, I'm very happy with, um, I'm very happy with the series so far. It's, it's very engaging. Nice. Cool. Yeah. But that's what I've got. Go to Corey. Greg I'll, I'll or Corey. No, Corey. Who wants to go. go next? I think Greg. Greg's going to go a while, so I'll, I'll keep mine be brief. So um, kind of on topic for, to, for our talk tonight, Melissa and I have been doing a lot of traveling, taking day trips and stuff, and driving around and doing a lot together um, since our kids are older. So we have that, that time that we can do that. So we decided we wanted to find a book that we could listen to together. This was a challenge because we have very divergent tastes in entertainment. So, we, <laughs> yeah, so we settled on um, Stephen King's book, uh, The Fairy Tale. So we have been listening to that. We're about halfway through. It's quite enjoyable. I like it a lot. Um, and a lot of character development so far. Um, but it's basically a a uh, boy and his dog story that gets wrapped around a little sci-fi fantasy fiction. So uh, I'll have more to say on it later once I finish it. But so far it's been good. It's been an enjoyable read. Melissa has enjoyed it. So that's been worth it. Awesome. Change of change pace is good to mix it, it up. It is. But Melissa likes to listen to books at like two and a half speed. Ooh, and I can't, wow, do, I can't do that. I just can't do that. <laughs> Breakneck <laughs> pace. Like, it, it gives me anxiety. It gives me anxiety just listening to it. Yes, it's like like she'll play her book sometimes in the background, and I've got to leave the room because just listening to the micro machine wow. man talk in the background is like I can't, I can't. <laughs> so she's had to, so she's had to slow herself down to listen to it at the, a speed I'm comfortable with. <laughs> but there you well, have it. I've um, done a lot of reading. Um, it's been several months and also reading is uh, something that you can do quietly while taking care of a baby. But uh, there are two that I want to, that I want to touch on. Uh, So the first one is um, uh, a work of history. It's called fifth son uh, by Mia Townsend. So this is a, a book that came out, I think fairly recently. Yeah. 2019. Um, so it's it's a story about the Aztecs, history of the Aztecs, um, before and then during and after uh, the conquest of Mexico by Spain. 
And what makes it different from books that have been written before is it's actually based on indigenous Aztec authors, their writings. Um, and so this historian, Camilla Townsend, what she did is she spent uh, about a decade translating these sources that had never been translated um, into English or Spanish. Um, and there are histories of the Aztecs written by like the grandchildren of the generation that was conquered by the Spanish. The Spanish um, arrived in Mexico in 1519 and the wow. Aztec capital uh, Tenochtitlan fell in 1521 and the, the people were subjugated. And the Aztecs um, were themselves an empire and they ruled over many different groups of indigenous Mexicans. And the Spanish just kind of left that system in place, but took over as the rulers. So, you know, the other groups would pay tribute, uh, like taxes to the Aztecs. Um, and now they had to pay tribute and taxes to the Spanish, but there was a lot more to it. The Spanish also enslaved many of them and um, converted them to Christianity and taught them um, how to read and write in Spanish using like the, the Roman alphabet. And so the language of the Aztecs called Nahuatl uh, didn't have like a written form. There was like a hieroglyphic um, system, but not like using letters like the Roman alphabet. So what these uh, handful of folks did, who in some cases weren't even alive when the conquest happened, or maybe they were small children, is they looked around and they realized that their way of life, like the Aztec way of life, was going away. Their culture was being erased. They wanted to preserve that, and they wanted to document um, their history, which had been taught to them by their parents and their grandparents, like an oral tradition. And so they used what they had learned about the Roman alphabet to write, create a written form of Nahuatl, and write long um, stories. And these documents have survived to the present. And like I said, until Camille Townsend spent about a decade translating them, they had not been translated. Um, so the book is, is really approachable, even if you're someone who doesn't do a lot of history reading. It reads kind of um, almost like a novel. The start of each chapter is uh, an anecdote where it'll talk about one historical figure and go through an event or you know, a story about them. And then it'll move into the details. And she kind of compares what is in the sources from the indigenous writers with the sources from the Spanish conquistadors and the archaeological evidence to, to paint a more cohesive and more clear picture of um, this group of people. And it's just really fascinating. And uh, personally, I had uh, studied Latin American history. That was my major in college as an undergrad. So it's a topic I was familiar with, but I added new context to it. And I thought, just thought it was really well done. Um, so that is Fifth Son by Camille Townsend. Then the other book I wanted to touch on, oh, go ahead. Yes. Greg, before you go on, before you go on, Camille, Camille Townsend, what, how do I, how do I know I did that not. name? Did you mention something that did she had not. written in, I had, uh... previously? That name is ringing a bell with her me. prior to hmm. reading that book. Oh. Yeah, she has a bunch of books out. I'm kind of looking. Yeah, you said she's her. an historian, right? She, she teaches at Rutgers. Yeah, let and me then, let me take a look because I, I listened to a podcast called, Hist, called Hist, 
Yeah, that's what it is. So I listened to a podcast called History Hit, and they have like a mm-hmm. couple um, series. One of them that they do is called The Ancients, and they just did like a seven-part series on um, South, uh, South America and um, oh, Mesoamerica wow. in awesome. ancient times. I'll check that and out. I think that she was one of the guests on cool. that, one of the guest um, speakers. And then the other book. Yeah, that's cool. I want to talk yeah. about is called Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. And uh, so this is a work of fiction. Fiction. It's a it's a thriller, and uh, this author is relatively new. He published his first novel in 2018. He's got four out so far. I've read two of them. Uh, they are both excellent. The other one I read is called um, wait for it called All the Sinners Bleed. But uh, Razorblade Tears is from 2020. And it is uh, about two fathers whose sons have been murdered. And uh, the police make very little um, headway into the investigation and eventually uh, abandon it. It takes place in uh, Virginia. And the fathers decide to join forces to investigate on their own and figure out what happened and try to um, essentially get revenge for their sons. And the two fathers do not like each other. They do not have a lot in common. Um, They don't get along. Um, But the main thing that does kind of bond them uh, or that they do share in common is that they had very fractured, bad relationships with their sons. And they're kind of viewing this quest as a way to, you know, posthumously repair that relationship. Um, So this book is just like it, it... it is a roller coaster, and from the first chapter, it hooks you in, and it goes at rip roaring speeds up and down. And it is any evil. reading. I was finished. Uh, Really, really good stuff. Um, pretty violent in parts. Um, pretty brutal, but not like... wouldn't say that necessarily was like turning you off. It's, it's used very um, purposefully uh, to drive the plot forward. And so when it comes up, it's kind of abrupt and it hits hard and then it moves on. It's not like every page is um, gore and uh, that type of thing. But uh, yeah, I would really recommend that you look into that if you enjoy thrillers. It's called Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. What was the name of that one more time? All right, so we are going to get into the main topic, and I'm going to say a few things about it, and then I am going to bow out and let you fine gentlemen uh, take the lead. The topic is parenting... And gaming. Uh, I am very new to this process, so I have the least amount uh, to say. Um, and then when I edit this episode, I will, I will glean all of the knowledge from you. Um, essentially, uh, you know, I'm sure for those of you who are listening who are parents, you teach you me the secrets. 
um, be able to empathize with a lot of the things we're talking about and, and identify your own experience in there. If there are things that you uh, feel we didn't discuss and you're like, hey, this is this is something I want to make sure y'all know about, please uh, feel free to reach out and post that. We'll Maybe uh, after the episode comes out, I'll just throw a couple questions out uh, in the Discord uh, if people want to contribute. But um, yeah, it's been three months and two weeks since my daughter was born today. And I have, uh, oh, thank you. I have been able to stay connected Woo-hoo! to the hobby mostly through painting, um, which at first I wasn't painting at all. And it was bringing me uh, a little bit of uh, stress because I, I feel like painting is something I do, if not on a daily, certainly on a weekly basis. And uh, it's something I really enjoy. But I have a setup. Um, you know, in the basement with a, a table dedicated for painting and all of my stuff down there. And I just found I was never bringing my daughter into the basement. So, like, it, it was just inconvenient for me to step away. So I realized I had to set up a temporary painting station upstairs um, so that when I was you know, kind of supervising as my daughter was taking a nap or sleeping, I could turn on uh, the overhead like hobby lamp and a uh, paint and so i'm literally like in darkness aside from <laughs> the lamp that's that's above my work area and i'm painting maybe for as much as an hour at a time maybe for five minutes because she you know wakes up unexpectedly um but it definitely was like my old way of making time for painting no longer applicable couldn't do that. So had to be flexible, had to rethink how I was going to do it um, and be able to squeeze it in when I can because nope. one, painting is important to me. It's something I really enjoy. It's a it's a uh, great form of stress relief. And then also, as I mentioned, I'm trying to uh, paint for a deadline for Crossroads next month. The other um, thing I will say is just like in general, across the board, you know, the, the, the hobbies and the things that I enjoy with my personal life and my social life the amount of time you have to dedicate to those things when you have a newborn is very small and so you have to really prioritize those things and and figure out which ones make sense and can work and which ones can't so there are plenty of things that i was doing uh prior to arrival of my daughter that i am not currently doing and i may return to them at some point you know in the future when she's older and my Mm -hmm. Uh, responsibilities allow for it um and maybe there's some things i won't um but for me like things of war is at the top of that list of of the things i really enjoy so i was able to run the summer league and that was literally for the eight weeks that i was running it that was the one time that i did something by myself outside of the house you know every once in a while we'd get grandparents to watch and we'd go out and my wife and I would have like a date night and right, right. in return, you know, my wife might go out with a friend or do something on her own and I stay at home. It was like, if I can have one night, like two to three hours where I can go out and do something, what am I going to do? And running the Kings of War League was the thing I picked, right? For other people, it might not be that thing. And so, you know, you might say, well, this is going to take a backseat and my other hobbies are going to be the ones that take over. But for me, it really has been. Kings of War is 
main thing I wanted to continue to pursue. That's where I'm at now, right. which is, uh, I, I think, good enough to keep sustaining me. And I, I feel very fortunate to be able to continue to participate in the hobby. Um, but you all have children who are older at different ages. And I'm sure you have a lot of experiences that you can share. And so I am going to step away now so I can resume <laughs> my responsibility of watching my daughter. And uh, I, I will say thank you in advance for all of the expertise that you share <laughs> and for being here tonight. And it was great <laughs> to talk to you all. You too. Thank you. And I'll see you in, I'll see you all in one month. Prosper. Love you, Greg. Congratulations again, man. Yeah. Damn right. Right. All right. See you, man. Excellent, cool. Greg. All right. So where do we start, right? I mean, it. Also, we should probably it, start with where we are all at so people know what perspectives we're coming from, right? Good, good yes. thought. Yeah. Good idea. So me, Corey, my kids are adult age now so my son is 25 my daughter's 21 just about to graduate from college my son is out of the house so i am more on the tail end of the parenting and gaming journey here i mean you never stop being a parent but my kids are no longer kids so that's where i'm coming from right <laughs> right and then like um i think i've uh, i'm the next one up where i've got my my daughter is 14 my stepdaughter is 15 and my stepson is 18 right and so they are adultish right adult you know not they they certainly don't need my direct supervision all the time thank god right um and they also are at an age where they have an interest in various levels of interest in the hobby right yeah yeah that's a uh, and, and that's a, a pretty wide range too right yeah right um my kids are seven and nine so I'm closer to the age where Greg's like I remember the baby days still quite um, quite clearly, but they're starting to transition more into the ages of Mike's kids, and I notice I'm seeing some of those those things happening. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we've got we've got the different uh, parts of the spectrum covered. Absolutely, we right. sure do. Right, and then just just as an aside, I do, and this is just a maybe a more a. Uh, we're talking about my, my painting skill when ellie was born i had set up like a mobile painting station on like a breakfast in bed tray right or like a you know one of those like wooden desk things that you put up on when you're when you're sitting at the couch and uh i painted an entire undead army while while the baby slept so i had ellie while she was up and ellie would sleep for about 55 to an hour and 15 minutes tops she wasn't a three-hour napper but she also would take like three hours and then pass out again. So I'd hang out with her. We'd play. She'd pass out. I'd paint for an hour and a half. She would wake up. Boom. We'd play again. She'd pass out. I'd bring pay for another hour and a half while, uh, while Sam was working. Right. And, um, or, you know, on the weekend so she could get away. And it was a different, it was a different animal, you know, totally different thing. So it's interesting you say that though. And I, I see Greg kind of having that experience as well right now. And when my kids were little, I didn't paint for years and, and painting is one of the most important things to me. Just like Greg saying, it's a, it's a stress reliever. It's my, it's the, of all of the hobbies that I used to have, it's one of the only ones that I have kept through right. parenthood. But 
I had, I, I think there's a little bit of kid personality in this too. I had one kid, my son, who's younger, who was super easy. Like he, from a very young age, self-entertained. Um, he slept well. My daughter, on the other hand, I, I love her to death, but she was not easy. And so I spent maybe the first three or four years Five, five, maybe until she was really five, being very, very challenged by a kid who would not let you get a second. Right, right. Um, and so just very, like, between my two kids, very different experiences. So Greg may be having an opportunity, Mike, you did, where you were able to paint. But for me, that was an impossibility. And yeah. I just, I want to say that to sympathize with parents who might be struggling and they're like, well, what the heck? My kid, why does my kid doesn't sleep? Or why can't I get away? And it also, to, I, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit here, maybe I'm going on. But yeah, I think there's also a time with your spouse and like how they're handling being a new parent and, and what they're, um, like Greg was saying, right? Like, are they able to get away and do something for the, for themselves? Mm -hmm. Do you have family around who's able to help or not? Like, and those, right. those can dramatically change your experience. I, I, I struggled a lot through the first couple of years of having kids. Um, sure. So. I can totally see that. I, it, it's interesting too, though, that um, no, I, the one thing that I had to give up I say the one thing, but one the of the one things, thing. well, I mean, vis-a-vis yeah. well, I mean, yeah. vis painting, right, was this idea of I have a paint station. This ah, is where I go yeah. to paint. Like I was, no, dude, the, the, the paint has to travel with me so that I can be in the room with, with Beans while she's sleeping, right? Or if, if I, I had a couple nights where, like, she was in the baby Bjorn in front of me. She just passed out. Punk, and I was like, sweet. So I'm not going to move you because if I move you, you wake up. So you lean over real slow and you pick up the skeleton and you lean over real slow and you get the paintbrush and you're out in front and you make sure <laughs> that no paint goes on the baby's head and you do the painting, right? Like, but I've had a couple nights where it was like that, where she did not want to get put down. She was having a cranky night. No big deal. But you can't be like, I think the key to parenting, period, is being able to be flexible and go with the flow. And that is an example thereof, Right. Yeah, you know, there there was there's no such thing as well. I'm just going to go to my man cave and go over here, and I'm going to paint. Good luck, honey. You know, like I did not have that luxury, right? But oh. Corey, what was it like for you when when uh, when your kids were young? Sorry, I was muted still. So <laughs> I had a lot of hobbies. <laughs> so that like to sympathize with what Greg was saying. You've got to pick and choose what you can and can not make time for, right? Right. Yeah, your so life is different. You can't just do it the yeah. same way, right? <laughs> anymore. Yes. And I was fortunate. I mean, you had a great point, John. If you have family around or somebody that you're close to that can watch your kids and do or people that you can hang out with otherwise, you can do those things a little easier right? because you can go to a bed. Their, their aunts and uncles or their, their grandparents or something like that. So I had like, we, cause we live near. Corey, you're, you're cutting in and out. I'm losing you. I don't, is that me or Mike? No, I think it's him. I mean, I'm having this a tough time that? listening too. Can this you hear any me? better guys now? Really? Uh, yeah, I don't know, Corey. It might have been a noise noise cancellation or Hello. signal dropout. I can hear you, Mike. 
Yeah, see, that's weird. I can't hear you, John. I see the circle light up, and then I can't hear you speak. Oh, we're having lag issues. Woo! Weird. There we go. Now I'm back. All right. Can you guys hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, yeah you were cutting. You were cutting out quite a bit. So I'm cool. Sorry. You there? Hello. Yes. Hmm. Can John hear me though? I I mean sporadically, yes. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop out and hop back in. So hold on one second, guys. Sounds good. Greg's gonna edit this part out. Hopefully. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. Possible. Highly probable, Captain. All right. I am back. How is this sounding? Any better? Much better. Yeah, you sound louder, so I think that's a good question. There you go. Not not so jittery, so that's good. Right. So anyway, I'll start from the beginning. Um, So I also had a lot of hobbies when I started off and I was younger, right? So to Greg's point, you got to stop and pick and choose what Mm -hmm. you can do and what you can't do. And it made a lot of difference because we had family around the area. So like John said, if you have people nearby that are willing and able to watch your kids or you trust to watch your kids or that they can just do stuff with, you have a little more freedom to go participate at the the local gaming store and go play games or take time to paint and build models and stuff like that. So that we had that opportunity because we did live closer to home with lots of family nearby. So that helped out a lot. And Melissa was also very gracious and I guess back when I first started playing, we were playing Warhammer and we weren't doing grand tournaments, but we would go and do like one day tournaments up at uh, in Syracuse or Rochester at some of the local games workshop stores. We'd go to those, uh, those one day rogue trader tournaments. So I had opportunities to do that, that Melissa was more than happy to allow me to do and give me sure. those, those days to go do that. So I was right. very blessed in that regard. Right. And so my kids kind of grew up with that. Like, this is dad's thing. Dad's dad's a gamer and he does this. And that kind of became part of like our identity as a family too. board games, all that kind of stuff. So my kids grew up with it. That was part of it. Yeah, it's. Um, it, things have definitely changed as the kids have gotten older. You know, part of it's schedule. Like, you know, I'm at, I'm at a point now I'm transitioning where my kids, it's been a couple of years, I guess, but they you know, they more or less put themselves to bed now. Right, I don't have to. Um, we don't read bedtime stories anymore. Um, I don't have to shower them myself, you know. And so, right, right. what an evening looks like in terms of me having some time for myself, or and my wife having time for herself too, is is very different. You know, we can have dinner as a family and say, "Hey, kids, go go shower, get ready for bed. I'll come tuck you in in an hour." And they and they know that they have some quiet time. And they know they need to brush their teeth and shower and put PJs on and stuff. And so that has opened up my evenings a lot more, both in the sense of like having time to do hobby at home, but also it being reasonable for either me and my wife to go do something in the evening. So it's, it's easier for one of us to leave because you're not putting this burden on your spouse that they ha- then have to do this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
by themselves. Right. And, and I think right. that's a little more self-sufficiency, right? Yeah. And I think the same concept applies, whether it's an evening during the week or you're going away for a weekend or a day, like Corey, like you mentioned about going away to, for the day for a tournament, there's just, they, you just build this independence and this flexibility and whether your kids eventually become gamers and start doing that with you or not, almost doesn't matter. They just become independent more yeah. independent like progressively more independent over time right i mean when when ellie was young we would be like okay so we have this figured out and then three months later she would grow enough to change all the rules you know three figure it out again but then it kind of evens itself out as they get to be like three and four the changes don't come as fast they you don't. can reach an equilibrium easier you know there's yeah. a lot to be said for that you know yeah uh, now there was a phase there that I think, John, you're probably getting into or might already be in where our kids had a lot of their own activities that they were in, right? Because my kids mm. were both into sports and different things, post-school post activities. And so those tend to conflict with a lot of the hobby time and getting away and going through stuff. Oh, we've got a softball tournament this weekend or there's lacrosse coming up this weekend so those are no-go weekends most of the time i mean sometimes i would squeak away for a tournament here and there if it wasn't like a weekend long commitment but those were those were times where i felt like oh i'm not going to be able to participate as much as i'd have to pick and choose what things i could and couldn't do a lot more during those years once my kids got to be like nine ten and older and started having their own activities and things that um, we obviously wanted to be there for and see. So that is a really good point, Corey. And that is a phase that we're starting to enter. Um, for the past two years, I coached my daughter's basketball team. And so like, I've got to be there for practices and games and stuff. And so it puts a schedule constraint on you that's... Um, yeah, it's pretty extreme. And like my son's going to start playing sports this year too. And so it's... Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm I'm anticipating it being a little bit challenging. Um, one advantage we have is that we homeschool the kids. So things that normal family or things that when you're in public school or private school or whatever, um, you would have to do in the evening, we do during the day. So oh, yeah. our, our family time is structured, I think, fundamentally differently than a lot of families. We don't try to crunch a bunch of activities in the weekends and we don't do activities on weekday evenings we do all of our activities in the mornings right uh for the for the most part i mean the 90 percent rule right um and that that really changes the game in terms of what i'm able to do again bring this back to gaming right like that opens up a lot of flexibility for how we spend family time we don't spend a lot of family time at these things although i think it is going to start to increase over the next couple of years so and if yeah. you are doing like you said if you're doing the coaching piece of this too you are way more involved and way more responsible right so oh, yeah. I, yeah i did the same thing right i coached my daughter's softball i coached my son's soccer team and basketball and all of that and that means you have to be there so you, you can't to, right. skip out on a day because there's something going on that you want to do you have to be there Right. I think there was and the I, rare occasions where I would be able to step away because I've got another parent that was helping coach that would step in and do that. But most of the time you're like, nope, I, I need to be there for this. And, and I want to be there for it, too, because I, I think that's the I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but most parents want to do things with their kids. Right. Absolutely. So totally I, if, if they like 
uh, we have a, a friend. My daughter has a friend who lives in town, and her mom was gonna, you know, help coach the the basketball team. And she was like, "I'm not playing on that team if you're the coach." And <laughs> it's just, but my my daughter was like, "Yeah, Dad, I want you to coach my team. That's gonna be awesome." I was like, "Okay, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, if you want me to do it, then I'm gonna do it." That's just how this works. Uh, right. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Right. It's super awesome. Right. I don't know. So I, I, have to, I have to put myself, just like Mike was saying, how in the beginning you start to make priorities and you change things. I think it continues to evolve where you, you begin prioritizing yourself less. And then it goes in waves where eventually, like Corey, you're at a place now where you know, you're you you still may do things with your kids, but it looks a lot different than when they were actually dependent upon you. Sure does. So you're, yes. you're... And and I think because they've grown up with it too, they know it's like, yeah, dad like dad does his hobbies, dad has the games, and that's become part of what we do as a family too, right? So both my kids play board games with us, so that's something we've all kind of done as a family together because I like right. board games, Melissa does too, so the kids obviously got into it. They're very good at it, so. That's one of our things. We we play games together quite a bit. Right. right. Less now. Less now that my kids have their own lives. But sometimes, uh, like when when they were younger, we would get, do it quite regularly, and that was nice. Yeah. And while Jake never got into Kings of War, he has played with me before and helps out with crossroads he, and stuff. But like he, that. he never but, took it up as like his hobby. Right. No, but he's he's into D and D quite a bit, and so we we um. play D and D together a lot, and that's been great. Love that. That's awesome. So, so let's 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 key on on that, because uh, I know John, um, your son, uh, plays the pew pew with you, and um, <laughs> right, and 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 Corey, you 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 said you've got a lot of gaming traction with your kids. How do you get your kids into the hobby that we love? Because I mean, one of the things that I wanted to do when Bean was born, I was like, okay, I want to teach you how to do a roundhouse kick, and I want to teach you how to roll dice. Like these are the two things I care about. I want you to love these things the way I do, right? <laughs> so like, right? So like, how how do you draw them in, right? Any well, thoughts on that? I don't know Corey's probably got you know my kids are still in the the impressionable young ages. Corey, what do you think? Well, I I mean I see you. You get together with Tony, right? And you put some miles on the table and you guys play a little kill team, right? Right. I, I we just do similar. it. Right, you just do it. And so we did something similar with my kids too. And just having them see you do it, like we would game in my basement at my house, right? And so the local guys like Steve King and Tim O'Brien, those guys, we'd come over, we'd play games together in my house. The kids would be around. We'd all be hanging out. It would be more of a social event than just dad go doing his own thing. So mm. my friends, my gamer friends, kids, we'd get together. We'd do stuff as a big social circle. Not I mean, ah. gaming is what brought us together, but just the people. We still get together and do family things together too. Right. So that's kind of become the circle that they're a part of. And it's just been ingrained that this is something we do and they've taken to it. Right. My kids are both, they enjoy board gaming. They're, right. I think right. pretty good at it. Like it's not like dad or mom has to let them win. It, it, it's been a long time since that was a thing. So they're, they're pretty capable on their own. So just doing that. And I don't think 
Madison really likes the art aspect of it. Like she likes looking at my models. She likes asking questions. She she digs the painting aspect of it and the the terrain, hobby side, the the multi basing, all of that kind of stuff. Sure. She really digs that. So she enjoys that. So that's been something that we can connect with and and bond over about the, the Kings of War hobby. And Jacob mm-hmm. likes the story and kind of the 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 world. Even if he doesn't play the game regularly, he has played. And he enjoys it, but he's not like all in on it, like like I am. Right. So, so was there was there a time, John, when like when when uh, when little you know little man comes up to you and says, "I want to I want to roll dice. I want to do this." It. What does that do? Like, did he approach you, or did 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 he say, "What are you doing?" And you were like, "Well, let me show you this 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 broad world," because there. In some ways, I mean, I, I I can talk about how, you know, I'm I'm working on getting my kids in, but like in some ways, like the your your son has an understanding of what the world is through you, right? To 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 Corey's point, right? The kids grew up with it because because um, Corey and his friends all did it together, so they saw it and it was normal, right? right. It was a thing that happened, right? So like, was it one of those things where like your son and and you know, why why did your son take to it and your daughter didn't right or or who knows yeah right? I, mean, I i think that's that's a good question i mean you know for our so for our family it started really organically you know dad's doing these things um and like like cory said some of it is we you know, we get together and play games sometimes we get together and hang out and then play games and it and it is kind of a, a, a very social activity with um I wouldn't say as a as like multiple family. We don't have like those uh, families that have friends the same age doing that. But a, li- right. a little bit, it's starting to see that. But it's it's exposure. Like I'm playing games, so he's down here. He's looking at my models. He's playing games. Then we started introducing games that were simple. I mean, there was a there's a reading barrier, right? Like you, it's very yeah. difficult to play oh, games yeah. that you can read. Yeah, and, and only at like five years old was reading at an incredibly high level um and so we were able to play start playing like magic because he could read the freaking cards that's amazing and like and actually like understand the rules and like we usually dumb the games and we started playing kill team some other games um and i would dumb the rules down a little bit and then after a while i realized like oh my god like i don't even I don't even need to dumb this down for you. You understand what's happening. Sure. Um, right, right. So there was a there was definitely a progression though where I spoon fed it for a while just to see if it was interesting. Because like my daughter on the flip side, you know, we do the same thing as a family. Yeah. And she was like, This is fine, but it's really not my thing. And and my son is like, Let's do that all the right. time. Right. <laughs> he's totally my he's like all in on it. And he loves it. Right. Um, and so I thought, you know, if he likes it, I'm just gonna feed and nurture that. I, I want to have good experiences with him as a kid, us playing games together. Oh, um, yeah. and, I, and I hope that we can play games together for ever. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I don't yeah. know. I mean, maybe it'll, maybe it'll shift and it'll pivot and something else will happen. He'll decide that baseball is the best thing in the world. And games are like this weird thing that dad does on the weekends. But um, I think just his personality is coming out to, to like be game gamer friendly. Mm. And and not everybody's kid is going to do that. I think. I agree. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean that's it's not for everybody, and I think a lot of it has to do with like, okay, 
Can you, are you a good reader? Can you understand and comprehend rules like that and, and logic like that? That's not everybody's bag. It's, it's really not. Yeah. For, for a kid who's struggling with reading um, or math, I think right, the, right. the barrier to entry to some of these games is high. Like I use a lot of the gaming as a math exercise for, hey, uh, I did three hits and they each do three damage. What's three times three? That's yeah. how much day, you know, like you know, take- I did the same thing with my kids. Like when, when Madison was little and doing like counting, it was like, here, I'm rolling these dice. All right. Pick out all the fives and sixes. Yes. Yeah. yeah like, that, yep. So taking it as a learning opportunity, as much as it is like a fun gaming opportunity is also a way to tie it into what's important and what's going on in the life of your child at, at that moment. Right. I don't, I don't know that you have to make it a learning opportunity, but I, I think it's, it was, it was certainly an easy way to do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and involve your kids in what you're doing. And vice versa, something that I did and it just kind of came came up when you were talking about things you're doing with Tony is that I also got myself involved in the games that my kids wanted to play. Too. Ah, so, yes. So, so yeah. Jake like, started buying Yu-Gi-Oh cards way back when he was like six, seven, eight years old. And so I sat down with him. We played. We learned how to play the game together. And I learned because he wanted to learn. And so that was something we just did together. And then there was another game that, uh, like, trips to the games, the local game store were were fun. And he enjoyed that. So it's like, yeah, let's go do something. And we, there was a, there was like a little card. It wasn't a card game. It was a a model game where you would buy a pack of cards, but they were these plastic card punch outs and you made pirate ships out of them. Oh, I remember that game. That game was awesome. It was awesome. It was really good. It was like what Armada is now (laughs) on a smaller scale. It was super fun. So we played that a ton when he was little. He's like, I want to go get some more cards. I want to build the ships because they were like little put together uh, plastic card model ships and everything. And they were really cool. So we did that together. And I think that was another way where you could connect on your child's level and do what they're interested in as well in that same gaming arena. Right. That's an excellent point. Yeah, your kids are not always gonna love the same things you love just because you love them. So you, you you might need to be a little bit flexible. Kings of War might not be the game that they fall in love with. A little much. Um, a little much. But that's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just roll with it. Right. So with me, Ellie was uh, was about. Oh, jeez. Let's go back. She was about eight. Um, and yeah, around eight years old, nine years old, right? Nine years old. So she's nine years old. And up until then we had done like candy land and we'd played, you know, dice games. It's just easy stuff that, that the, the, the stuff that, you know, gets sold for kids of that age. Right. Um, and she would play those and then move on to the next thing. Cause you know, she's always moving on to the next thing. Totally fine. But we ended up, um, playing, uh, there were two things. The first thing is she ended up coming home one day because I, I was I hung out with uh, Mindy, who's now my wife at the time. At the time, she was just a buddy. You know, she's a friend of mine, and her daughter and my daughter got along. And her daughter Bella was into now my stepdaughter was into Yu uh, not Yu Gi Oh but Pokemon. So all of a sudden, Ellie comes home and goes, "I want to buy Pokemon cards." I said, "Well, let's go get some Pokemon cards." So we sat down with her. <laughs> I think we learned how to play, right? Um, and it, trust me, the story's going somewhere. So we learned how to play, and she played that. She played the shit out of it for a couple of weeks, and then, you know, moved on to the next thing. Totally fine, right? But she was still interested in it, where I could get her to play every once in a while when she was when when I had her. Um, and then uh, there was one night where she had done. She had been involved in a lot of theater, and I had all the guys over to play D and D. 
And I said, Ellie, would you like to sit down with us? We, you know, we have an extra seat at the table. And she said, sure. So she sits down and she's rolling dice and she's not into it. Like she understands intellectually what we're doing, but she's like, you know, at this time she's like 10. She's like, this is, you know, this isn't for me. I said, all right, no problem. Um, but then just like last, last winter. So just, you know, she's 13. Um, Bella plays D and I actually run a game for Caleb and Bella and their friends. And Ellie set in on it. And she was like, this is the most fun I've had in forever. I'm like, there you go. Right. But, and at first I was like, well, maybe the age wasn't right, but that's not it. He was influenced by the things that her friends were already exposed to and were doing. Right. And when she found out that I did the things that she knew intellectually that I played magic and she knew intellectually that I played D and D, but that wasn't the same as like, Oh, these other kids at school or this other friend of mine does it. And my dad knows how to do it too. And all of a sudden I got street cred. And so it's all right to do it. Uh And then, right. And then she's open to it. And now she's like, yeah, I I can't wait to play again. Right. So, yeah. Right. So the way that you engage with your kid at five and six Hey, let's sit down. Isn't pew pew cool? And how many threes are these? Right. Is different than how you engage with them at 10, which is different than how you engage with them at 14. Cause they're growing. Every time you think, you know, the rules, the rules are different. Right. So they're growing socially as well. Right. And the things that they're yeah. looking for at six are like, John, you're, you're Tony's world. Right. right. Like you're right. awesome. Look at you. You're like, you look at you. I'm just one of you guys, but you're way taller than I am, right? That won't and, be the same at 13. No, right? They're going to be getting their they're going to be getting their social cues and the other things that are cool from their friends, and right. maybe their friends are going to be getting it from them. Hey, man, and, you want you want to see something cool? Space Marines are cool. Check this out, right? Yeah, and, and it's an interesting and, time too, right? Because gamer culture is a lot more popular now. It is, and, you know and a lot. A lot of people, I think, are going to be more open to doing some of these. Some some people won't, but some kids are open to doing these things. Like, I mean, just look at Jake, right? Like, Jake grew up playing D&D with his dad's D&D group. I didn't need to introduce him to D&D. It was his friends that introduced him to D&D. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Funny funny how that works, right? So my my son got invited uh, for, like, next week, actually, to go play some Dungeons & Dragons board game with a group of his friends. And they're going to, like, meet up at the local game store and and play a board. I guess it's like a campaign. So they're they're going to meet up over the next six weeks, like once a week and play this game. And I was like, that's that's awesome. That sounds great. Right. Um, and I, yeah, I just hope they had fun with it. But he's got friends who are also interested in fantasy theme and playing pretend. And, and yeah. really this kind of li- li- like it's not even about fantasy, whether I don't, sci-fi or Star Wars or whatever, but it's it's playing pretend. It's living in this fantasy world. It's using your imagination. Um, they're like I know he's into that and now he's finding other other kids that are into that in similar ways I don't know if they'll be into like the mechanics of the game necessarily because sometimes that might be a little overhead um but right. one but time they're, they're into the world right they're into the world we were sitting around dinner this was I last year maybe we were sitting around at the dinner table and uh, you know like I've been playing D&D for decades right my kids know right. that I, I do this and they know that sometimes I'm I'm like I make voices and I'm you know doing this play pretend stuff sure. um and i don't talk about my D games very much sometimes i do because i'll dumb it down a little bit the kids always ask like what happened in your D game but oftentimes the the topics are not kid friendly so <laughs> i i might i might slim it down a little bit to, to high level but uh i don't go into the details 
I also have some very crass players in my group, so I can't actually uh, talk about yeah. what they may or may not have done. <laughs> um, but I said, all right, let's let's like pretend we're playing D and D, and I just went right by there while we're eating dinner. I on the spot came up with a story. I told the kids who they are and where they are and what's happening. And I just started asking them DM style questions like, this is what you see. What do you do? And and they, you know, we kind of got into that back and forth of, oh, I'll I'll open the door. And then I described to them what happens. And they they ate it up. They loved it. They thought it was so great. And we oh, did yeah. we played through this sequence for like 10 or 15 minutes. Awesome. And I was like, and I was like, okay, basically that's Dungeons and Dragons, you know more or less and they were like let's keep going we, what do you mean we're stopping like so they i think it's, there will be a point storytelling right it's, it's interactive storytelling yeah and whether whether you know you can get into the the meteor games like like king's war 40k whatever stuff like that but um uh role playing is i think very accessible to kids if you theme it the right way very much so very much so right you know, and just and I have found that when I run when I run a game for, um, for Caleb and his friends, or you know, etc., or you know, the, the my stepdaughters or my stepdaughter and, and Ellie, it's like better you better concentrate on cool and story. And story, if they roll a one, yeah. you better make it. You better make it a fantastic fumble. And if they make a twenty, you better make it's an amazing crit. And if it's right, but if it's just w- sit around and wait for you to roll your dice, and you have too many options. Right, there's too many options, and I don't even know how this game works. And oh my god, what what am I doing? It's like, nah, you got to streamline it, and yeah. you got to make it r- rule of cool. Explain to me what you want to do. I the first time I ran it for them, I actually didn't have them roll many dice at all. Right, you don't, like, need, you don't need dice. Right, I was like, explain to me what you want to do. I want to do this, and I would roll a dice behind the screen. I go, okay, well, this is what happens. Right, and just do it like that. Right, you know, and th- and that way they, you know, and I would explain to them what I'm doing, but I'm like, don't worry about it for now. Just this is we're telling a story. Right, so and then they're they're hooked. Have you found a um, like a product or a a, a game that kind of facilitates? Because I, I know they make some RPG style games for that are targeted at younger kids, where the stories are, um, you know, a little bit younger audience, and the mechanics are a little bit more lightweight. But there are some game mechanics to it, so they get a sense of what that's like. To, to or, be honest, to be honest, when I, well, I what I do is I took fifth ed and I slimmed it down. And instead of like, so I, I would make it, let's say I, I'd make a character for them or I go, you know, let's say we make a character together and they're, they're, they roll dice and they tell me what they want their character to do. And then on the sheet, it's not, here's a thousand skills and here's your, uh, here's your, you know, your, your plus modifier. It's like, nope. It's just, it literally, so for Elliot it was like stab, stab a lot, right? Hide, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like here's seven things you can do in your turn. Yeah, there it is. It. And with a plus whatever. And I was like, you roll a 20, you add this number, you let me know what the number is. I'll let you know what happens. That was it. Right. right? And so if it, anything else came up, I walked her through it during the turn. Yeah. Right? So in some ways, yeah. I think a, a system like fate is fate. Yeah. Fate is yeah. better than D and D for that because it's, it's more story driven and there's a oh, lot yeah. less mechanics to, to get uh, caught up on. Totally agreed, and it does put a lot of onus on the on the DM. But so what? Because you're you're doing it anyway. Yeah, right, right, right. And then it all works out. Yeah, I. But I, I do think the key here is that if you do want to get you do want to get your kids involved, you say, I don't know, man. It's a social thing for them, right? So if they're not doing it with their friends, it's like, well, you, you can sit around and hang out with my friends and roll d twenties, and it's like, I don't know your friends. I like them, but 
this is not cool <laughs> you know it's funny how we transitioned here from um how do you sustain your su- 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 sustain yourself as a gamer when you're a parent to how do you get your kids to play games with you <laughs> well i i think that's the progression right yes yeah part of, part of how you do it how you sustain your gaming is like okay if your kids are part of it it becomes part of your family dynamic that's but, right so, and then it's so, easy to do it so bring this back all the way to the beginning, though. That is exactly what we were talking about earlier is priorities, right? If if gaming is a priority for you, it probably will be forever in your life and your family and the way you you do socialization as a family is going to reflect that. If uh, the vi- if video games are your priority and not like when you become a parent, not, like Corey, you were saying you had a ton of hot. I, I had, I don't know, a dozen different things that I would do on a regular basis. And it became five and then it became four and then it became three and then you know, like and, and there there wasn't much left at the end when we were all said and done right, right. and honestly i i look at like my life the hobby and the hobby is multiple things like it's for me painting is a big part of it gaming is too and i look at them almost separately they're they're obviously related but some people choose not to do one or the other mm-hmm. but for me painting and that's that's all part of my hobby that's like the only thing that i do anymore they've got other little things like i go out and do some exercise i play guitar a little bit but like i don't i wouldn't say even play guitar as a hobby i don't practice every day you know i would say like the the gaming is my hobby that's what i've got left (laughs) um and and if i had decided to focus on something else like for me playing guitar or i don't know a sport or something like that then i probably wouldn't have a hobby left because there's, once you become a parent, there's not a lot of room for the things that your kids are not into, which is why it's important right. that if it's, if it's super important to you, that they're engaged with it as well. It's all, I, I al- it's all related. I, I also found that, um, especially in the early years, um, it was easier for me to stay engaged with the hobby by painting because I could do that at home. Yes. Getting out to get a game was a... Oof. That that was that was a monument. That that was you. You mark it on the calendar a week in advance. Yeah, it was tough. right, and you make yeah. plans. You make sure everybody knows what's up, right? Like that's that was a different animal, and um, which is which is funny, right? Because uh, once my kid got older, I actually I flipped and I spent a lot of time right. out at, at conventions and and <laughs> tournaments and stuff, right? right? Um, you know, but different animal. Interesting thing for us is that um, next year. Oh no, Corey, cut out! Next year, what? Yeah, what happened? What? Oh, we left the (laughs) camera. We're gonna, we're gonna see, we're gonna see how much editing happens. He's back. Here we go. (laughs) All right, I'm back. All right, countdown. Three. Interesting thing next year. (laughs) All right, so next year. will be 20 years old, almost as old as my daughter, right? So we've been running Crossroads for most of my family's life together. Oh, wow. So they've grown up with that. And I think if we didn't, and and you guys know, Melissa's intimately involved in running Crossroads. She's there the whole weekend. She's an integral part of that. So I think having that as the through line in our life has helped keep uh, keep the gaming and the hobby kind of central to what I'm doing, right? Because we're we, I've gotten to know you guys and become good friends with you guys through this hobby. And right. same thing with our local 
peer. We've gotten to be really close. We do things non-gaming related together all the time as yeah. family. So right. I think that has helped. And again, I don't know how many other hobbies I could think of that I would build these relationships and this social circle through, to be honest. Uh, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's totally a, precious, right? And then to have your kids have that what one of the things that I've run into with um uh Ellie is just entering the age where um they're totally self-aware, overly self-aware, and so when they go to do something new, if they're not great at it, they don't want to do it. Right? Uh, you know, and it's an awkward I mean it's part of the awkward phase, right? You don't want to be seen right, to be right. like that, right? Yeah. And but I, I'm trying to get her to get past that because like for me, um I mean, I've mentioned this a thousand times. Martial arts and gaming have led so many good people into my life right. through those pursuits. I mean, work too, right? But like literally martial arts and gaming, the two things that I pour my energy into um, and my passion into, right, since I was very young, um, have given me this rich social circle. Right. And I want, my, I want Ellie to have that too. I want Caleb to have that too. Right, like he's just starting college. He started college today. I want him to, like, he's doing esports. Awesome, awesome. Go meet as many cool people as you can doing esports. Right, and if if that doesn't cut it, then go do some tabletop gaming or something. Right, like, go find your people. You know, right. Meet people with common interests and that you share things together. Share common a common love of something. Absolutely, totally. Got to find a group. You got to find yes. a community that you you fit in with. Yeah, I think that's key, and that's that's what I hope my kids take from what I've done in this hobby is that. Yeah. So story time, because my kids are older now, so right. it was like a heartbreaking moment, but it was it's a good story too. So twenty 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 two. So we. The guys here, local group, we go to Adepticon every other year. So we've been doing this for probably about eight years on and off now. So coming out of COVID, out of the pandemic, everybody's jones in to get back out and do stuff. My son says, Dad, I want to go with you to Adepticon. I was like, yes, this is going to be great. So and he's like, can I invite my college roommates? We would love to go out with you guys. We'll get rooms together. It'll be great. We'll all hang out together. It's like. Oh my God, you want to do this. You want to do this. You're asking me to do this. <laughs> uh, I was so, so psyched for it. I was like, yes, it's going to be his first big convention. This will be something we can talk about and share an experience. It was, we were all so pumped for it. And then I get COVID two days before that began, and I can't go. So, but Jake and all his Ooh. friends went, they had a great time. They had a great experience, but I missed it. But I'm super happy that they went and had that time doing that so that's something that i was like oh, this has kind of worked out long term right he's an adult and he wants to do these things with us and, and do these things together yeah and then you've got a thing to um to do together I, you know I, I my um my dad is a as a golf addict and i just don't love golf and so the thing that he wants to do every day is not a thing i can share in that that joy of <laughs> I have that similar right. thing. My dad loves to fish, and fishing is death to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome that you can you can share that with Jake. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it it is it is one of the cooler things of 
having been to almost all the cross, actually, yeah, almost every crossroads, right? Is seeing your kids grow up. And like, I don't know, like the the first one after the pandemic, I'm sitting at a table on Friday night, I'm playing board games with Jake and you and yeah, and one of Jake's friends. I was like, this is amazing. Right? Or like one of the first one of the first unplugs, right? Where we were we were hanging out in the ballroom and um and John Elena was running all over the place and I was playing with her and stuff and I she you know how kids do, they run Paul Mel into crap and she's about to run into a table. I slap my hand out. Right. And I, and I save her from certain doom and cat just happened to see me do that. And I think at that point, cat was like, I like Mike. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> you, you were ingratiated into her for, uh, for you know forever, I mean? <laughs> but it was, but it was one of those things where it's nice to, it's nice to have yeah. because you want to expose them to the things you love. Right. And then hopefully Absolutely. they love it too. You know, yeah. hopefully they love it too. Hopefully. Yep. So, yeah. All right. Any other words of wisdom for the crowd? Uh, it gets better. So if you're in the it, early it, days, just you gotta you gotta stick it out. Gotta it does, and you need something to do when your kids leave, and this works. Yeah, yeah. very true. Because your kids won't always be around keeping you busy, right? And so having right. this to do. So now, now that we're on the other side of that, Melissa has always kind of been a part of this, but she's coming to more and more events right now because she's come to a couple of masters with me. She comes out to Orktown with me. She'll go to different events around just to get out and go do stuff together. And she yeah, knows you right. guys and she knows your spouses and we all hang out and have a good time. So it's, it's nice to have that um, when we don't have our kids to hang out with anymore. Totally. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. All right, friends. I think that we yes, have this is discussed good this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, and with hold that, out hope all you young unplugged gamers that have young children. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's um, you know, I, I mean, to to John's point, it gets better. It also gets different. It gets right? different. Yeah, it gets different every time. Like every time you think you had to figure it out, but if if you um, it's like anything. If it's a priority for you, you're going to make time for it, and then eventually you'll be able to share the share the joy of it. I think a key exactly. to a key to that though. And one of the things that we have not mentioned, right, is uh, in all seriousness, like discuss with your spouse that this is important to you, right? And that, you know, you can't do everything, but like this thing is the thing that keeps you sane and you need an hour to paint, right? Or you need yes. that connection. This is, I'm going to go out and see my friends and this is the way we're going to do it. Like, you, you know, people who listen to the podcast know I have a, I have a longstanding D&D game that, that we've been playing me and my friends from college every sunday right unless like three of us are on vacation we're get together every sunday i don't see those guys the rest of the week i see right. them on sunday right and so like you know if you can carve out that time for yourself and say this is how i'm going to spend it um and get that understanding with your spouse that this right. is not only just it, it's important to you and to your sanity and your growth etc um that will help as well yeah right. i think there's something to communicate it right yeah, There's something absolutely. to that beyond that too, though. Um, it, it, two points I want to make here, real quick. Um, one is be patient with your friends. If they have kids, understand what they're or try to understand what they're going through, and they are not as available uh, to be your hobby friends as they used to be. Right. It's not um, because they're flaky, right? It's not because they don't want to. And, and the reality is that some people this won't be their number one, number two hobby, and they will flake flake out and disappear and they may come back to it eventually but they may go through a hiatus period that is okay 
Like, right. It, I think it's important. We have some some unplugged gamer uh, friends who are going through that, and you know what? Just like be supportive. You know, maybe get them on a get them on some text messages and just like like shoot pictures back and forth. And like maybe you can't get together to play games, but you could still kind of have like a hobby engagement. Um, because they're yeah, you just they're going through something. And the other thing, and this has been a theme that I think you've I've talked about before. People locally have seen me do this. Adjust your expectations. Like I don't, I don't paint like I used to. I paint a lot, but I don't paint to the same quality level right. that I used to because I don't have that kind of time anymore. And I want to, I want to use the time I do have differently. And so your, what your hobby looks like might have to work around what you have to give it. Yeah, and I paint a lot more now because I had that time available right. to me. Right. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, this was good, guys. Great topic. Yeah, thank cool. you. This is fantastic. Good discussion, bros. All well, right. Well, it's good chat um, with you. Have a yeah. Have yourselves a good good night, good week, and um, I, I'm interested to see what Greg has to say after he listens to all this. I advice. do too. I'd be curious <laughs> to hear him like sum up with a little commentary of his own. Yeah. Right. I demand a rebuttal. Right. <laughs> I don't dash twenty eight. There you That's go. Fantastic. All right, guys. Um, we'll see. We'll see you, bros, it. in a couple weeks. Yeah, oh, a couple weeks. Wait. Right, nice championship belt you got there, buddy. Oh, that's gonna be hot. It's they're so cool. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Totally agreed. All right, that's it. You guys take it easy, and we will catch you next time. Late. All right, be good. Adios.